Welcome to the Rethinking Humanity podcast, where we dive deeper into what makes us human and what causes us to thrive. I'm Lacey Delane. Hi, I'm Sonia Maria. And we are excited to be with you for episode 25. We are live today from Atlanta, Georgia. We're a little bit late because we are trying to work some new cool stuff that we're working on with broadcasting our episodes also in Clubhouse. So apologies that we're about 10 minutes behind, but uh, our awesome technical directors working hard behind the scenes to kind of try that out. So uh, we're excited about that. Yeah, I know. This is going to be fun, Lacey. We're doing all these new things and we're learning as we're going along. That's right. We're learning as we go. And I, it's like I told Victor, doesn't have to be perfect. Uh, never has to be Because <laughs> is it ever perfect? <laughs> so uh, we're, we're uh, making progress and growing and learning and trying as we go. So that's really cool. We're going to talk today about what is the same, what pro soccer and if you've been following the news this week, you probably know what I'm talking about. But anyway, what pro soccer and end of life care have in common and what that has to do with rethinking humanity and some of the things that we've heard from Eric Fromm. So we're super excited about this, uh, this episode and bringing it to you. Sonia, how are you? I'm okay. I'm just uh, actually, let me think. I was trying to think, how am I today? It's so strange. I know I always talk about the weather, but I was outside in a really beautiful area of Atlanta. I think you know at this Roswell area with kind of gardens. Oh, yeah, that was yesterday. Yeah, it was yesterday. It was so nice. And um, the weather here, we're in this stage where one day it's warm and then the next day it's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So when I went out today, it was kind of cool, but I know now it's warming up. So this is Georgia for you, right? Yeah, it's it's springtime and, you know, at the game on Wednesday night, it was like freezing. We're all like this. Ah, it's so cold. So Yeah, and pollen. And pollen and pollen and COVID. But I did read something interesting that um, I didn't fully realize about COVID. Did you see that this, that um, COVID basically annihilated flu season? Did you read oh, that? I think I've heard that, but I didn't realize that. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it does make sense, but... Uh, <laughs> But anyway, it feels like it's going to be flu season again now because <laughs> it was like 70, 80 the other day and now it's cold. So, ah, yeah, whatever. Here right. we are with Atlanta, Atlanta weather. Um, well, again, we are uh, with you for episode 25, season two. We're doing everything live now. Super excited about it. If you're with us, please comment. We want to hear your thoughts. We want to come, you know, converse with you. Follow us here on YouTube. Subscribe, I guess is a better word. Um, And of course, everything that we do here today live will drop to the podcast later. Um, We're also streaming, I believe, through my uh, Twitter, at Lacey Delane. So those of you who are with us on Twitter, hello. Thank you for being here. Yes, uh, Sonia, we have some exciting things coming up. Yeah, we do. Absolutely. We've got, let's see, I know we're doing our branding, new branding, but as I will state again, nothing's going to change. We're still have the same content, but we're excited to roll that out. Um, We have Melissa Bernstein coming on. Yes, that's going to be fun. She is the founder of Melissa and Doug Toys, which is arguably the highest end and best and in my opinion for sure toy brand that you can find very Montessori 
you know, based. Mm -hmm. um, and so anyways, uh, she started an online wellness um, hub, basically. That's what I'm calling it. I don't know what she calls it other than lifelines. It's called lifelines. And so um, we're super excited to have her because she has a very powerful story. I mean, her and her husband built an empire. I mean, they've been wildly successful in the toy industry. All the while, Melissa is or was dealing with major depression mm -hmm. and thoughts and consistent thoughts of suicide. Mm -hmm. And she shares and she's going to share with us um, about what got her from there to flourishing again. And I, I don't know even if again is the right word, but to, to flourish. Mm -hmm. And so what kind of weaves into some of the themes from today with trauma and mental health, which we'll get sure. into soon. Yeah, so, that's, uh, that's going to be really interesting. I know when you said toys, people probably like toys. What does that have to do with Rethink Humanity? But her story is powerful. So yes. I'm excited to, to talk to her. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Um, and also, we just want to mention that we are on Instagram. We do have an, a, a Twitter account. We're really not as active on Twitter. We're focusing on Instagram. So as you might imagine, it's at Rethinking Humanity. We also have some really exciting new things coming up. Just want you to, to just stay tuned. We're growing and we're excited to announce some of these big new things. So yay for that. Um, all right. Are we ready to get into it, Sonia? Yeah, let's do it. All let's right. Go. Well, we wanted to, well, I wanted to start because some of you know that I'm a soccer player. If you've been listening to the podcast for you know, any length of time or especially from the beginning, you know that I'm a soccer player and that I've hurt myself in the last, you know, year. <laughs> I had to be out of soccer, which is sad. Uh, but I'm but I'm also I've played soccer my whole life and I really haven't been much of a fan of the sport as far as like watching a certain team. Mm -hmm. But I have started recently. And I think what's quite interesting is some news came out about um professional soccer and European soccer specifically this week that was like, oh my God, this is the exact thing that we talk about on the podcast. It's it's the it's the exact themes of from manifesting in our everyday life. And it's something that Sonia and I both feel like uh, talking about on the podcast is an important and a powerful thing for us to do. So we want to do this sometimes where we, you know, we talk about the themes, but then we also say, hey, this is where we're seeing this in everyday life right now. Sure. Yeah. yeah I mean, you're the one I was list. I kind of heard in the background, this big soccer news. And I have to admit, I don't play soccer, but I have watched soccer. I've been involved in it for years through my family. And I've lived overseas where we know soccer is like a big, big deal. Mm -hmm. um, in the communities and just like it's so they're so passionate people are about their soccer teams so when you pointed out um, this story to me I definitely went and read and listened to a podcast and yeah it is right up our alley yeah for sure so without getting into the weeds too much about the mechanics of how soccer works what I want to do is give a little bit of a backdrop about what it is that how how soccer does function because it's different than American football mm -hmm. and then say what happened with this whole super league thing. Um, so basically uh, the way that soccer teams work in England specifically, but also, you know, across the world is there's a domestic league for mm -hmm. each um, country and that the, the teams play in. 
And then there's also a thing called the Champions League, which the top teams in each of those uh, domestic leagues get to graduate and go to. So there's the the glory of winning your domestic league mm-hmm. and the glory of winning the Champions League. Okay, and please just bear with me on this explanation because, like I said, I've been, I'm a lifelong soccer player, but I just started watching all this stuff, so I don't promise to know everything perfectly, okay? <laughs> but what I do know is that you can be relegated in and out of the your, your uh, domestic league and also, obviously, of the Champions League because you have to qualify. Only certain right. numbers of teams can right. qualify. Well, um, what happened was this group of owners of specific teams, some English Premier League teams, some um, Spanish League teams, uh, and some others, decided that they wanted to start a thing called the Super League mm-hmm. um, that would be something that o- only those specific 12 teams would never have to be relegated out of. And they were, in essence, creating their own competing body, really, with the Champions League. Mm-hmm. They were going to be able to keep all the money that they made because there wouldn't be a middle point, like a, a governing mm-hmm. body, per se, between mm-hmm. them. So that all the money that they would get from TV rights, from fans, from merchandise, from what have, whatever they make money on, they would be able to keep, right? And so... For them, it was a lot of people are calling it and and really very boldly called it a money grab. Mm -hmm. Um, And and of course, these 12 teams are the top teams, like the teams that everybody watches. So, of course, if they were going to do this, that's where, you know, the people were going to go to see the see soccer. Mm -hmm. I I think there were talks, too, and I could be wrong on this, that they were going to limit or not allow these players to play in other championships or like maybe the world cup or something like that. I I could be wrong on that, but, but anyway, there was a, the point is, is that there were a lot of fans who were very, very upset about this because of the integrity of the game, which is that you can start at nothing, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, start learning how to play soccer in the dirt and then go play one day on West Ham or some other team. And then one day win the champions league. Right. Uh, it's blasphemous to the soccer community that you could start a, a group, start a league, and not have the opportunity to be relegated out of it based on play. Right. So it's just a blaring example here that um, you know, there that money is something that can really be a thing that's trying to control the quality of what we're seeing in sport. And in life, and in life. Yeah, what um, what struck me in listening to the podcast and reading it, just like you're saying, is they were the top teams. Um, the second part of this is how the evolution of the game back in the '70s. They talked. There's like a switch where this game was more localized, very much part of the culture. And then when money starts getting into it, yes. you have owners that are from all over, like American owners, owners, countries own soccer teams now. It's just all about, like you're saying, um, the the dollar, you know, of, of making profit, uh, yeah. which is obviously something we talk about. It's a big theme with us here with Frome and how here's a sport so beloved by fans. And in the podcast, they actually have, you know, little snippets of people saying like, this is awful, you know, and, and how the fans, what I loved about sort of the takeaway there is that the fans still have power yeah. to make a difference, which is what I think Frome would 
talk let about. Me, let me throw some context, context to that. So this news came out on Sunday that they were announcing they're going to do the Super League. Um, and shortly after that, there was outrage. I mean, that's not too strong of a word. <laughs> by by soccer fans, by media people, by the pre the um, prime minister, the British prime minister, Boris Johnson had something to say mm -hmm. about it. everybody. Everybody was against it. And Prince so, Charles, I heard. Yes, yes, exactly. So uh, it, it, it does speak to, well, okay. So after all that, within 48 hours of all that, like, and then once the first or second player started to say, like, we're not for this, mm -hmm. it really started to crumble. And a lot yeah. of pressure from the fans of each team who said, look, we started as a community team. Mm -hmm. you know, like, what are you doing? Are you insane? You're so out of touch with the people who really right, right. are invested in this, the community, you know? Yeah, and, I know. That's right. a good point. And so, I heard that, uh, not to interrupt you, that they yeah. didn't even have sponsorships. They were like way ahead of the thing, thinking we're billionaires. We're just going to like make this happen. Right. Like, you know, we, we can do whatever we want. And that fell flat on its face, like you're pointing out. The plan wasn't very well put together from what I understand. Um, but the pressure from the fans, the bad press, ultimately, I mean, there were protests that the fans did at games that happened after this right. the week, early part of the week. So the point is, is that, you know, this thing by yesterday, I think, but at least today, it's like over, it's dead in the water, it's not happening, which is great news. But it's, uh, well, that specifically is a an, an evidence that we as the people have a voice and we can make a change. And mm -hmm. there's a parallel here between soccer as a little world of its own and us and society. You know, the oligarchs came in to take over soccer. Right. <laughs> and said, fuck that. We're not doing that. That's <laughs> not going to happen. That's not okay. And so that's great. And I want us to do the same thing. The other point I want to make with this is that we're seeing this issue in so many spheres of society. And that's what we're going to talk about next, uh, you know, is how we're going to see the same exact thing in end of life care and medical care. Mm -hmm. Point is, is that people are getting more and more increasingly, increasingly lost to bureaucracy and money and power. And it's even in our sport. It's in sport. Oh, yeah. You yeah. Yeah. There. Uh, yeah. I hear you, Lacey. Um, I know I think that I sent you this article that said something I'm trying to paraphrase that you know, is European soccer going the way of like American values or something like that? I, I don't recall something think, to that effect. Victor, I think has that. Oh, maybe um, he put it in there. Awesome. Victor. Oh, American values. Yeah. Ruining European football. So I love this. <laughs> just the hot, the billionaire owners, disloyalty, hunger for profit. That's <laughs> what it is. Yes. And I mean, any of my friends that I talked to about this, they were like, it's a money, it's a cash grab. Like this is just ridiculous. And it's right. obvious. And there were, you know, very widely respected um, sports reporters who would say, look, this is criminal. Like, it's just obviously. And and it, at this point in time in history, when we just went through a pandemic and mm -hmm. so many people are hurting. Right. Why would you do this? Right. But, you know, and maybe it's like a wake up call, uh, like you're saying that we we're talking about this, too, is that people are like, wait a minute, you know, what happened to us? You know, why is now the decision making is to a certain elite uh, in our society 
and we don't have a say. You know, I think there's kind of a silver lining here is people are like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You're not going to meddle in all these aspects of our life. Right, right. No, no, it's true. And I mean, I think the headline here speaks a lot to what we're saying on our podcast. Like, has American... <laughs> American values ruining your, like our American values are apparently money grab is what right. it sounds like. Right. That's right. what this whole thing was really about. Yeah. And, and I love that soccer was, you know, it's seen as this community, you know, really like a bond in the community. Yeah. Um, these, the teams and leagues, and you pointed out that you could start, you know, pretty much at the bottom and then move your way up. And right. so I think the fact is that we don't want to lose this, sense of you know community and the fact that this is part of like culturally who we are we right. now i'm talking about the europeans but i mean it's grown in the u.s as you know it's, it's huge well u.s like me we're we're soccer fans we're fans of european clubs too mm -hmm. so it's globally because mm -hmm. of television obviously but yes yeah so i mean this is right up exactly what we're talking about as mm -hmm. you said like it just in every sphere of our life, we're seeing this. And so this is kind of like, whoa, you know, like you said, sports, medicine, mm -hmm. um, our work life, uh, personal life. It's just, it, it's, it's, it's our whole culture. It's, it's the well-being of, of humans getting lost in the, in the whole mix of profit and, uh, you know, production and consumption, work, success quote unquote you know that that is that's it in a nutshell right here and and you know what we're going to shift to next and draw the connection it's the same thing yes yes well i gotta i will um start this out by saying you know Lacey and i obviously we talk about from all the time but we are looking at these real life examples which you did a great job, Lacey, bringing up the soccer uh, article and this whole the, the whole thing that's going on. That I think I, I think you would not have to be paying attention in the news to not have seen it. By the way, because even right. me, I right. knew that something was happening, and then you told me to look at it deeper. Um, there was an article I read that really uh, touched me because I felt like it showed the examples of what we're talking about here on you know rethinking humanity, and it's a New York Times article. The name of it is COVID has traumatized America. A doctor explains what we need to heal. That was written on March 24th, uh, 2021 for anybody out there who wants to go look it up. If you have the New York times, if not, I think you can sometimes look at, get a free article. Um, what struck me about this article and I shared it with Lacey is that medicine is driven right now by a societal commitment to profit, mm. which is huge because again, same theme, coming back, coming back. Um, the, the article actually interviews a doctor who talks about this time during COVID, how palliative care became very important. And palliative care, for those that don't know, is end of life care. And of course, we know why it became important because we had COVID raging and people were dying. Right. And so therefore now, we as a culture were faced with end of life, um, you know, trauma that people are dealing with, whether it's you personally and your family or just as a community. And it mm -hmm. really raised the question, what are we doing in medicine? Mm 
Like, how are we making decisions daily? And what comes out of the article is basically, well, there's a number of um, themes that we can talk about, Lacey. There's the trauma. There's the yeah. fact that it's so uh, transactional mm. medicine. Right. And there's, you know, what do we do to heal moving forward? What will, can we learn from this? So I'll just start with that. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I really like the the trauma element and where you're going with, I mean, obviously COVID in itself was traumatic. Having COVID is traumatic. Dying from COVID is traumatic for the folks that love the person who died. Um, and those are all things that, take time to process and heal from. I mean, we can't get away from trauma. Trauma is something that's going to happen and it's something that impacts us. And if it impacts us, then we have to be able to deal with it. And if we don't make time for that and we don't know how to deal with it, then it's going to cause more trauma. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so it's not helpful. So um, that part I was particularly struck by that she's illuminating it because it's true and it's so easy somehow to ignore that truth. Yeah. I mean, and then the, the reality is like, you can only go to a certain degree of denial. She actually, the author, I mean, I'm sorry, the doctor mm-hmm. in the article discusses, her name is Dr. Meyer, by the way, um, is how we really need to speak of our trauma. And mm-hmm. I know you and I have discussed on the podcast, you know, how important mental health is. And yeah. how you need to share that. So we would that could be through therapy, that could be through support groups. But the fact is that the trauma is not going away. Right. And if you're not speaking about it, then you're not really healing through it. I thought that was real interesting that she addresses that. And yeah. the other part of this is so interesting because we had Sherry Turkle on previously. For those that don't know, go back and listen. She wrote a bunch of great books, uh, Empathy Diaries, Reclaiming Conversation. But what I'm Taking away from that is that Dr. Meyer in this article says people are at the end of their life. And guess what? iPads and iPhones don't work. Yeah. We need each other. We need human beings. Yes. And we're we've learned that through COVID, right? Right, right. Well, and she mentions in here about um, it's not really uh, about anything more than like relationships. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I might have that right here. It's not just pain or constipation or fatigue or depression or difficult difficulty sleeping is issues of purpose, meaning identity relationships. Um, and those are the things that really are impactful to us as human beings. And she's saying as a palliative palliative care doctor, she's noticing that. Um, so that's a powerful thing just in itself. Yeah. I mean, that's true. She does talk about that. And I think, what we've learned is uh, through COVID, whether you were sick with COVID or not, is isolation, yes. right? And so they definitely felt it through this issue of people being, you know, in the hospital, being isolated. But we also were isolated. You know, we right. at home were isolated. And mm-hmm. that just, I think, um, heightened our awareness of how much we need each other. Mm-hmm. You know? And then, and I think why this all ties in is that I believe, and I believe, well, I know you believe this is medicine, for instance, healthcare should be something that's affordable to everyone that should be universal. Mm -hmm. And what this COVID showed us was how medicine is driven more by these, you know, elective surgeries and all all the money that's made. And Mm -hmm. so if you're, if, if you're going into medicine, 
to ease suffering of others, but the goal is to make money. Yeah. Which I think we can easily say that Fromm would say, I'm sorry, that is a capitalistic, you know, money driven, profit driven um, part that is not, is not good. You know, it's not, it doesn't go along with the themes that we're talking about in rethinking humanity. Right. It doesn't fit. I want to go back to the trauma um, discussion because I have a little element from her article that I want to read that I think is good and is something that I think we'll enjoy talking about. So, um, you know, she says it has to do with trauma. Trauma is widespread. I think just that right there is, is like, Hey, I think we lost Lacey. I think we're having some technical difficulties, but um, she will be back on shortly. So I'm it looks sure. like uh, her internet went out. So I'm dropping in for Lacey for now. I'm the technical okay. producer here. Okay. Well, she'll be <laughs> she'll be back. Um, we were talking about trauma, I guess. Uh, Lacey brought up the fact that I think we can agree that during COVID, there was definitely collective trauma with everyone. Would you say that, Victor? Yeah, definitely. And it's different for a lot of people. Like, um, oh, looks like Lacey's back. Um, give me one moment. I'll pop her okay. back in. I'm sure that was traumatic for That was weird, dude. <laughs> I'm just moving computers now because I'm like, I don't know what happened. Apologies, well, everybody. It's all good because it's live. Yeah, well, I was going to say that's live for you. <laughs> I mean, literally, did you hear me say my screen went black? No, it did. It went black. I'm like, okay, wow. This we crazy. just kept, we just kept talking. Well, I'm glad. <laughs> okay, so I was reading that she says trauma is widespread in wealthy families and poor families, individual and family trauma, community trauma, societal trauma. Mm-hmm. I mean, hello, uh, Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. All these folks who are targeted more heavily because of their race and can't just get pulled over for a traffic ticket without worrying about whether they're going to die. Right. That's traumatic. Hello. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. traumatic. Um, we have so much of that here just to start, just start with racism and go on, which is what I was saying. It is repressed and treated with denial. That doesn't make it go away. Hey guys, when you don't address shit, it doesn't just disappear. <laughs> it just doesn't go away. It's controlling how people respond to new trauma, whether it's a diagnosis or a pandemic or a January 6th. So my perspective on trauma has a bigger scale than it used to, a species level and a tribal level scale. And as I read the news, I don't know whether we are going to be able to evolve our way out of this. Mm-hmm. I quoted that. That is yeah. so, that's so good. And I think that addresses that um, you and I have talked about the need to dismantle our current systems. You know, that's one of the things I think that we get from from, right? Um, I thought it was interesting when you're talking about the trauma, she says how at the end of life, it's not so much that people, their issue isn't pain. I thought this was super interesting. It's just this existential spiritual suffering. And it ties that back to what you were saying about the relationships and purpose of life. And this is just really being highlighted and going back to trauma. 
Mm-hmm. Um, we know that post, you know, people I'm sure have heard PSTD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder. Right. It's when you haven't worked through the original trauma. Yeah. And something that I love that the article discusses is the book, The Body Keeps the Score. Yes. Such yeah. a good book. Yeah. And so it tells us that we keep that trauma within us. So if mm-hmm. we're not, as you're saying, if we're not talking about it, it's not going away. Yeah. We can't be in this denial. And um, I think the other, you know, the big theme too in this article of dealing with uh, people who are at the end of their life is, and, and you and I have discussed this too, is the people, the pandemic is saying, people are saying, what am I doing? What am I mm-hmm. waiting for? Why are I, why am I running around in circles like I've always done? You know, mm-hmm. we're realizing that you need to have an inner life. And I know that that's something you and I have discussed on the podcast. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit uh, about a of a conversation I had recently um, with someone. We were talking about the podcast and I had you know, really interesting feedback from this person. And um, I I told this person, I was like, we really need to slow down as a society, you know? And he said, well, you know, we kind of have. And I'm like, well, yeah, we kind of have. The pandemic did slow us down. But I'm thinking a more intentional slowing down. And he was like, well, how does that really solve some of these problems? And I said, okay, well, let me just give you a real world example. I said, uh, let's say you're married, you have kids, and one of your kids is being sexually abused at school. Mm-hmm. Say that happens. And the, the child is finally, whatever age they are, whatever, they're finally have the courage one morning to say to you, mom, dad, I'm being sexually abused at school. Mm-hmm. But it's 830 and you guys have to get out the door because you have a very, very important meeting at 9 a.m. And yeah. the child has to be at school at 845. And if she's late, then she gets, you know, another whatever demerit. I don't know. whatever it is, You know, and you're like, I don't have time for this. And guess what you don't do? You don't talk about it. Right. Because the time isn't there. And now well, how does that link back to self-reflection? Okay, well, if you don't have enough time to self-reflect, you can't even be aware, number one, that you're not giving your kid the time that you need to give them, that they mm-hmm. need that time. Right. That it might be important to stop and have this conversation, listen, and there might be other things that's, that's happening within you that are causing harm to other people around you that would make your and their quality of life better if you could just stop and slow down and be reflective for a second. And our culture does not accommodate that at all. I mean, for some people who have a lot of money, of course it's easy. You know, the billionaire class, they can reflect all they want. <laughs> but, uh, but, but the majority of people, it's not easy to do that. It's not easy to have the time. We don't make it accessible. That's kind of the connection point. Right. And I think the pandemic um, obviously opened some people's eyes, uh, whether they wanted to or not. I mean, there's some people who really had existential crisis, like, what am I doing in my job? Why am I in this relationship? What am I doing with my life? But to your Mm -hmm. point, I mean, that was a forced situation. People didn't choose that. You know, globally, we shut down. And I think um, the article is stating 
maybe parts that people didn't realize before that when you come to, and we're all going to come to the end of our life, whether it's through, you know, we don't have the day or the time. And so the real question is like, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? And yeah. are we actually stopping to, like you're saying, you know, have that inner reflection on what, what is our life consist of? What's the meaning? You know, what's right. the meaning of this? Like, why are we here? And this is a, yeah, I, I just really related to it because um, I think we've also talked on the podcast about, you know, happiness, what makes individuals happy, which I know is very subjective. But one of the things that we know is having access to healthcare. Um, we know that that some of the top happier countries, one of them is Finland specifically, they have a uh, you know, free college, free education, they have universal health care. Right. Which is sort of like a given, and we don't have that in our country. Sonia, I think you and I both are very fortunate individuals um, financially, and even you and I ha have to go sometimes, I mean, we've shared this with each other, um, I think I'm not going to go do that medical blank. Because Procedure, yeah. Test. Right. Because uh, I don't think I want to spend the money on it or I don't have the money for it or insurance doesn't cover it. And so it's it's a broad range of things that affects us all. And here's the thing. There is a cost to leaving health issues untreated that actually ends up costing all of us more <laughs> in the long run. So it's a short sighted view of, uh, you know, what's better, quote unquote. Right, right. No, I agree. Um, that is a very good point that I think we, you know, it's kind of, and also we've talked on here about this bureaucracy. The medical yeah. industry is a huge bureaucracy. And I know mm. probably everybody listening has had experiences where you've had to call insurance or you've had to see if this is going to be covered or not covered in co-pays. I mean, that alone just d doesn't motivate you to even go do what you need to do. And you, and even if you are a healthy person, as Lacey's pointing out, or if you have means, we both, you know, are okay. I'm not right. wealthy, but I'm yeah. not, you know, starving. It's right. still really challenging, mm -hmm. even to work through the whole system. And that, I think, tells us, okay, where's where are our values? Do we value human beings, or do we just value again the dollar? Well, the system let's just talk about insurance. It's freaking confusing as hell. It's even, I, I've talked to people who've worked inside the insurance industry and they're like, some of the people at the very tippity top don't even really understand what's going on, which makes me go, oh, well, this is not about people. This is about those people lining their pockets. Again, where's the connection to the soccer field, to the soccer stuff? There it is that the, those who are way up there with a lot of money controlling everything. You know, right. everything's probably a strong word, but controlling things, right? And so it's the same thing. And and so it's obvious that it's not about us because yeah. it's so hard for us to understand it. It's so hard for us to access it. It's so hard for us to put our hands around it. Of course, there's an ulterior motive. Of course there is. And that's the part that's jacked up. You know, it's like backwards. Right. And, and this is why I, you know, we both love from is that he would look at this and say, you know, what, where's the humanity here? Where, why are we not valuing humans? Um, I have a story to tell you. So I don't yeah. know if this has happened to you, but 
the dental industry. It's very expensive to get dental work done in the U.S. A lot of people go overseas to do it. Mm -hmm. So interestingly enough, and I had a conversation with a friend, I started wondering, well, where are the prices? Like, how does the dental industry determine pricing? Like, how, where do they come up with what, you know, how they create the price? Because a lot of these, um, not all of them, but a lot of dental groups are kind of like a mass market kind of, say like a Kroger, you know, I'm yeah. not saying specifically like a grocery store, but what happens is they'll be, they'll be marketing the same name. But what I learned was that a bunch of hedge funds purchased like a dental, uh, you can look it up on Google. They purchased mm -hmm. like a group of dental, uh, I'm not going to name the name, you know, of organizations. So what you're really having is not doctors or dentists running it. You're having mm. people who, people who are trying to make money, <laughs> which speaks again, to the transactional nature, to the bureaucracy. Right. And the bottom line is the consumer who you don't have much of a say if you go to the dentist and the dentist may be perfectly willing to whatever, give you a break, but the dentist is being manipulated by the right. people up at the top. Right. You know, same with the administrative um, individual. So that just mm -hmm. to me was like, wow, a big wake up call. Sounds a lot like teaching too. Like my experience in public school was that like, I have a degree. I'm a professional educator. You would think that you would trust me to do my job, but all the strings attached from the administration, from the state and local level about what those requirements are, they clog everything up to where it's like, I'm actually not even able really to give to the kids what they deserve because of all of that red tape bureaucracy, right. bureaucracy people. We did an episode on this. I can't remember which one it was off the top of my head. I'll look it up before we get off the air um, and tell you, but it's a very good one. And it's from talking about this. I want to bring something else up from the article. Okay. Um, you know, the, the person who's interviewing this doctor says, you could imagine somebody rolling their eyes at you and saying, wait, you're saying capitalism is trauma. Mm -hmm. And he, she says, what has happened to the practice of medicine is that the public perception is that it has become totally transactional. So it's not about taking care of the people. It's about the transaction that we do things either to make money or to avoid spending money. Listen to how inhumane this is. So, for example, many people of color fear that a conversation about whether or not they want cardiopulmonary resuscitation is not about what's best for the patient. It's about saving money for the hospital. Mm -hmm. Those perceptions are not wrong. That's the problem. And there's more than a kernel of truth in the perception perceptions of people feeling as if they or their loved one is being put through a marketplace of MRIs and PET scans and specialists and subspecialists and everybody's billing. I mean, I've felt that like, oh, oh you're going to send me this place and that place. Oh, because it's everybody's billing and you don't, that's like the procedure. So everybody can bill. Right. No, no, no. I, I think we've all experienced that. It's just so frustrating. And unless you really have the time and the energy, sort of working through the whole system can be extremely exhausting and frustrating. And that yeah. reminded me in the article too, that I thought was just so right up our thinking is there's a point she talks about an individual who they need 24 hour care yes. and because she does believe oh, in the yeah. right with the it's euthanasia. Good. Yeah. That you can yes. decide when to end your life. But she says the problem 
in a situation like that is the pressures put upon the individual to say, well, I'm going to be a burden. So I might as well just, you know, pick the, I'm dying, you know, and that alone tells us, okay, no value for the human being. Right. It's all about, it's going to be too expensive to keep you alive. Right. <laughs> you know, that's, that speaks volumes. That's in this article. Is that yeah. in this article? Yeah. Okay. I couldn't remember. Yeah. So basically, I I don't know where this person was, but they were going to have to have 24-hour care at home. Mm -hmm. The government wouldn't pay for it. Correct. And so the, 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 like, the tendency she's saying about the trend towards, what do they call it? Uh, Medical-induced. Um, um, like a medical-induced death? Is what you're right. Saying? Exactly. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. assisted in a way. Right. But that 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 being legal, she's saying is a slippery slope because what ends up happening is that type of a situation, there is a temptation and apparently like it's actually happening for mm -hmm. that person to be pressured to not go home, to not figure yeah. out a way to make it work, to just be like, okay, I'm just going to die. Why? Because they're not providing any kind of you know, commu uh, commercial value, right? There's they're draining yeah. on the system instead right. of the fact that like, can you not be valuable, a valuable <laughs> human being, even if you're, even if you need help? <laughs> like, right. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I wrote in uh, some notes here, I wrote, you know, is he consuming <laughs> or just being there you, you know, go. existing? And that's, you know, that's the crux there. We're going, oh my gosh, this person, which really is scary because then it makes you realize, okay, we're just disposable. That's right. Like, I mean, we, we have no value. If we aren't transactional and we aren't being doing transactions, yeah. then look how valuable we are. He's, he's not someone who, uh, you know, can make transactions really. And he's not someone who's bringing income for anybody. Who cares that nobody, who cares about them? Right. No. Yeah. I think it's just, that's a, it's just struck me so many points of the article. Um, you brought up also the fact of the whole, um, the relationship I think is really important. I think it speaks to how we are in the world and how at the end of life, the things that matter aren't the things that we think are going to matter. And this, the palliative care thing is just, yeah, I, I, it just hit me with the, with the isolation and the alienation and that, okay, what do I value? Is anybody laying there thinking, I wish I would have gone shopping more? No, they're <laughs> thinking about, you know, their, their relationships, just like you said. Right. Um, and she also talks about uh, in this article, how during the pandemic they've needed, you know, regular doctors have needed more support from palliative care doctors because of the pandemic, obviously. Um, but they haven't had the capacity to do it because of the volume and because of the way that the system works. Um, they just haven't been able to do it. And what these folks really have needed in these moments has been like, you know, being present, being there. Like there's an emotional, social element to treating a patient. And that's what, what's been missed out on. Right. Um, no, I, I agree that they, they are now looking at that saying, whoa, wait a minute, we've forgotten about this emotional element. And I want to ask you, going back to Fromm, is do yeah. you think that Fromm would have said that this was, like you said, capitalism is trauma? 
Uh, yes, he definitely, I think he definitely would. Um, I mean, and he outlines later in the Sane Society, which we'll get into it, how capitalism has changed over the decades, over the years, over the centuries. And so, yeah, I'd say he would absolutely say it's trauma based on how we're doing it now. I think it can be done and it doesn't have to be trauma. Um, I think there are certain people, there are definitely people who don't agree with that. I definitely do. I think there's a way we can do it and and make it more humanized and make it better. Right, but, right. Uh, he would totally say that. Yes. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking that he, he would not be surprised, like sort of where um, we have gotten to. And I was just going to read a little from for you. Yeah. I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, it said the psychic task which a person can and must set for himself is mm. not to feel secure, but to be able to tolerate insecurity without panic and undue fear. Mm -hmm. Life in its mental and spiritual aspects is by necessity insecure and uncertain. This, I, I love this. There is certainty only about the fact that we are born and that we shall die. Mm. There's complete security only in an equally complete submission to powers which are supposed to be strong and enduring and which relieve man from the necessity of making decisions, taking risks and having responsibilities. How then can man tolerate this insecurity in human existence? One way is to be rooted in the group in such a way that the feeling of identity is guaranteed by the membership to the group, be it family, clan, nation, or class, hmm. which he goes on. But what I think is super powerful here is one is that Frome is talking about it's a reality is that we should, how are we going to tolerate insecurity without panic and undue fear? And one thing is being part of a community, right? which we have pulled away from. Mm. And I think the, the article also mm. states that with the fact that at the end of life, it's not the pain, it's the existential fear yeah. of that loss of the relationships of being part of the world. Mm. Yeah, I wanna find that. <laughs> I'd like to read that because that's so important. I mean, we both have talked before about how uh, impactful community is and how much we've seen it shrink over the years. And there's books about it, you know, Bowling Alone. Um, but yeah. that's an element you can't take away. Did you find it? I'm going to look for it right now while oh. we're talking. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 a common theme that we've discussed about. Um, I mean, that we've discussed. Okay, here we go. This is live, but yeah, <laughs> it, 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 it's yeah. it's constantly through our um, relationships with others. That is what mm -hmm. I think. From definitely stresses on. Okay, here we go. Yeah, if, I found if the you didn't, I can. Um, I'll read something else. Okay, read it. Read it. Well, yeah. Okay, this was really cool. Um, so. So there's also a lot of folks that I think she's talked to who have said like they've seen good things come out of the pandemic, which I don't think a lot of people would disagree with. Um, so she says life tends to be get up at six, go to gym, go to work, whether we're pausing because it's been forced on us by the pandemic or because we have a new diagnosis that requires us to reorganize our days, the busyness that has been that has characterized everyday life for most people gets in the way of reflection. We were talking about this earlier, but it is a very common phenomenon for people to take the time and reflect about what's important. People are trying desperately to make room for their own inner lives. Yeah. Yes. I think that mm -hmm. the, the pandemic has helped out with that a lot. And she's seeing that as well. 
No, that, that's so true. What we talked about earlier, and you said, Lacey, about the self-awareness. Well, I'm going to um, read you this one part. It's a, she says, it's important to disabuse you of the notion that pain is the reason people request medical this is it. aid in dying. Pain yep. is not the reason. It is existential and spiritual. The only treatment for that is relationship. Yes. Sitting with, not to fix. That willingness to be with and engage the person in giving voice to that suffering is such a powerful intervention. It requires training. It's a procedure. It isn't about we can fix everything, but mm -hmm. we can enable giving voice to profound suffering. And that makes a huge difference. Yes, that was such a powerful part. I that. like that part. Yeah, because like what you said earlier, it's about the relationship. Yes. The only for tr treatment for that is relationship. Yeah, that, that says it all. Well, I mean, look, if I'm dying, I don't want to be alone. I don't know about you, but I definitely and and you being on the screen with me is still not good enough. <laughs> you know, I, what hear I, mean? you. I hear you. No the processing of like loss of your own loss of your own life, loss of the relationships of people in your own life, and moving into the unknown. You know, something that you don't know, and so that's we weren't made to do stuff alone. <laughs> We no, just, no, we just no, no, I, I hear you. And this is why I think the article really spoke to um, us, that it really is a representative, represents rather uh, what mm -hmm. Frum's talking about, mm -hmm. along with the soccer right. article. This is all about the community, about the human being, not right. about profit. Right. And it's gotten to a place out of control, it feels like, that it's not about the human being, it's about the profit. And we want to shift that. And we're seeing it in so many different uh, spheres of life. Um, so we want that to, uh, we want to change that. That's why we're here. So we appreciate you being here with us and uh, we had a good time. Sorry for the technical difficulties. <laughs> it makes it real. <laughs> yeah, it's all good, man. We're here to have a good time and enjoy this conversation. Hopefully encourage you all. So thank you for being here. Uh, hope you have a great weekend and we'll see you next time on the Rethinking Humanity podcast. Bye, guys. Bye.